0: You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. All right. Well, uh, we may be slim uh, this morning uh, because of work and life and rain and circumstance and sickness. Oh, that's good. Great. Uh, but I am so glad you're here. I am so glad you're here. And you just—you need to know sincerely, um, I don't give two hoots and a holler about whether it's 550, 500, or 5,000. I, I am so glad that you're here. And I am so uh, enthusiastic day to day about the sufficiency of Jesus and the wonderful gift of his word. So uh, I hope you're encouraged as I am opening this word this morning. Um, I believe that the Lord is good and that he has good things for us in his word, uh, and I am uh, really looking forward to getting into this together. I don't think that we can unpack everything that there is to unpack here today, but I am uh, very happy to try, and so that's that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Uh, let's let's uh, have another official reading of the word, and then we're just going to ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word and our comprehension of it, our understanding, and then we're going to go forward from there. 2 Peter 1, 8 through 11, these are the words of God. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgot that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, uh, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom, excuse me, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh God, how we need you today. We thank you so much for the rich blessing, God, that you supply us with through your Holy Spirit, your church, um, your gifts of resources for life and godliness, and your word. And so we thank you, uh, God, today that we can make much of you, that we can live grateful lives thankful for um, the truths um, and the promises and the commands and the insight that you supply us today in your word, God, and I pray that this week we would preach, um, as a church, the truth to our hearts all week long and that by your Holy Spirit, you could, uh, replace, um, that good preaching with other preachings that, 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 that we are constantly beretting our own hearts with insecurities, worry, um. Anxiety, things that aren't true, um, God. I just pray for help. Um, we pray uh, for you to be glorified today, God. And we pray these things in Christ's name, Amen. All right, so uh, he he starts off. Peter does here, um, uh, really immediately tying himself to the last to the last uh, section, which is. Uh, the qualities, right? So he starts off in verse 8, for if these qualities are yours, not only if they're yours, but if they're increasing, and then he gives you some promises. Um, but well, first of all, we got to figure out what those qualities are, which takes us to last week. Um, and so we need to, for context, for context sake, read what last week was truly all about. So just flip back there with me and just cast your eyes on uh, verses five through eleven. We're going to look at the qualities that he's talking about. Uh, remember that these are good works that the Christian is supposed to possess, um, and that uh, he's commanded. He's commanded to to do them. Um, that 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 it's it's actually the responsibility of the believer to obey the command to add these things to his faith. Whilst God has also said through his word and the Holy Spirit and Peter in, in verse 3, you've already been given everything that you need for life and godliness. And that there's, there's no problem with this in Peter's mind. Peter can live in a world where God supplies you with what he needs and then turn right around and command it of you, right? Um, and so here, here's what those qualities look like, verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort, or as we translated last week, uh, bring to bear all energy. Uh, To supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue knowledge and with knowledge self-control and with self-control steadfastness, which is endurance and perseverance, and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, that's brotherly love, which is within the church, and with brotherly affection, love. And that love is love for God, love for unbelievers, love for believers. It's an agape love. It's a its a greatest commandment love that that we find. So if you're taking notes today, verse 8 would simply look like this as a title, good works as possession and benefit. Good works as possession and benefit. He says that here, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is making direct connections between holiness and good works uh, and in what you believe. Um, and, of course, we know that by what it says here, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So so many times we think that what we believe is disconnected or can be disconnected from what we're doing, Right. Uh, and, of course, if you've been around here any time at all, you know that we just won't let you think that. We believe that orthodoxy, that is teaching, and orthopraxy, or practice, are inevitably tied. And here, that, that's, there's, there's no exception to that teaching, right? And we find another proof text for that. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, uh, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say... If you seem oftentimes frustrated in your Christian life, um, it would be good for you in terms of your assurances uh, for salvation, which is what this passage is all about, is you being assured, uh, to be a practicer of good work. I will tell you that Reformed circles and non-Reformed circles within non-Reformed Baptistic circles but Presbyterian and Baptist alike, I think, do a really bad job of dying on the hill of assurances for salvation, once saved, always saved, and not properly calling people to live holy lives. We're so afraid uh, of wrong doctrine and people thinking that we're saved by works that we'll hardly teach about it at all. Um, but the truth is, is that a doctrine of good works or a, a doctrine of us being obedient is a part of the salvation narrative in the Bible. Now, you may be uncomfortable with that. Your minister growing up may have been com- uncomfortable with that. Many days I am uncomfortable with that, right? In the light, in the shadow of, of, of uh, Paul's warnings uh, about perverting the gospel with good works, it, it, it's easy to do. But it doesn't mean uh, that, that good works are not a part of, of the gospel story. Uh, because they most certainly are, um, you know Peter Pauls Peter's not the only one who's making connections between a knowledge of God and good works. Paul does it over in uh, Romans chapter six verses seventeen and eighteen. I'll read it to you now, Romans chapter six, one of the great great chapters of the Bible. Uh, verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. So so here we're, we're, we're talking about the fact that there's there's doctrine, right? And what's the doctrine? It's the knowledge that you're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. Um, you're still a slave, actually. You're still a bondservant, right? Uh, Andrew has this tattooed on his arm, doesn't he? I mean, it's, it's sort of front and center, so he won't forget. This is who he is. Well, what kind of servant or slave is he uh, as a Christian? Well, w- what he is and what we all are are slaves to righteousness. That uh, is That is that that is precisely what we are, Um Again, Paul ties these two things between knowledge of God and practice of good works together in Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, if you're taking notes. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 is this, this connection between these two things. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, right? What you believe and what you practice, are in fact together, uh, so as and let me read that one more time. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Second um, Corinthians chapter eight, excuse me. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight. 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight uh, is a verse that actually sounds a lot like our verse here. Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Here's, here's the point. Jesus did not save you to be unfruitful for him. Jesus saved you for many, many reasons and many, many motives, all of which we will be packing out and parsing out for an eternity, right? Right? Um, However, uh, one of them uh, is that you would reflect his work and character. Um, so he sets you up, he gives you a new heart, and that new heart is given to you to function and help the rest of your, your, your appendages serve him, right? Right? through its blood flow, right? You've been given a brand new heart and that new heart is given to you for good works so that when you're at work and you have an annoying coworker that you wouldn't react like a lost person, but that you would react to them like someone who has new hope, new purpose and Christ living in your chest, which you do and which I do, right? Um, That's, That's the reason. Good works are given to us so that we wouldn't be unfruitful um, in in our lives. The Bible has a lot to say about being unfruitful, about being ineffective, all of which Peter is talking about here. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. uh, John 15, 2, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Fruit, Titus three fourteen, Titus three fourteen, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to uh, help cases of urgent need, and do not be unfruitful. This is this is Paul closing out final thoughts to Titus, his son, in chapter three verse fourteen. And read it to you one more time. And let our people. Uh, he's he's a pastor, and he's giving him pastoral direction. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Let me tell you my personal experience. I think the reason that we don't champion the cause, and this is just me speaking honestly with you, we're on these two rocking chairs back here, and we're just rocking. You and I, we're talking. Honestly, I think the reason that we as Christians don't champion good works in the Christian life is because there are people around us who give good works oftentimes a bad rap by running into legitimate, full-blown legalists. Does that make sense? And if they're not a full-blown legalist, they're really flirting with it. Does that make sense? And it's uncomfortable, right? Because what's happening is they've taken their zeal for good works, and there is no graciousness left in them. I didn't say tolerance. I didn't say that. I said there's no graciousness left in them, right? There's, uh, and inasmuch as they've lost graciousness, they've lost truth, right? Because they were given good works to be a picture of grace and a means of grace to people around them, Right? Um, so, But here's the thing, just because we've got people that are, that are there doesn't mean that we get to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We've got, we've got to champion good works, and, and you know where it starts? It starts with preaching to your own heart every single day. The only way you and I are going to effectively live in gospel-centered community, urging one another to good works and obedience, which we are commanded specifically to do in the Bible, is if we start with the preaching of it in our own hearts, right? Um, and if we do it enough, we're going to come, become comfortable with that enterprise because we do it a lot. We could preach gospel, that's grace and forgiveness, right? And the repentance that comes along with it to our own hearts and then to others. That's precisely what we are supposed to be doing. And, of course, we're doing that so that we don't become unfruitful that's the last thing that I want to be right I don't want to be I don't want to be the audience uh, that Peter is talking to when, when, when God looks at my life I, or when Peter looks at my life as a pastor to whom he's writing these people I, I don't want to be ineffective for the Lord I don't want to be unfruitful For him, I will be full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When people see me and my life and my family and my church and my co-workers who are also brothers and sisters, I want them to see a community of people who have faith and in love for Jesus Christ and that faith and in love for Jesus Christ is manifesting itself in good works. Speaking of that, the next verse talks about the absence of those good works and, and exactly what it means. So remember, he's given us the list. These are all the things you're supposed to be adding to your faith, right? Are you saved by faith alone? Absolutely. We just got out, done with this in the catechism, right? And we'll, we'll get there again. But um, are we supposed to be adding these things to our faith? Absolutely. Listen to verse 9. Um, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from former sins. One more time, verse 9. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Uh, If you're taking notes, a a good working uh, title here for verse 9 would be uh, absence of good works as consequence for forgetting the gospel. Absence of good works is a consequence for forgetting the gospel. Um, So we find ourselves here, Peter, describing a group of people who don't have the list that he's worked very hard to pin out, right? Uh, Another Christian virtue list, which is replete throughout the New Testament. But here he's saying there's a fair amount of people who don't have it, right? They don't have good works, in their lives. Um, And what he says is a few things about them. They're nearsighted. They can't see past their own nose. They're blind spiritually, and uh, they don't have these qualities specifically because they've forgotten the gospel. They've forgotten the gospel. There are some commentators that say that the person that Peter is talking to specifically in verse 9 has to be an unbeliever. Has to be an unbeliever. I don't know which way it goes, to be honest. I, I, I don't feel a hard and fast conviction on either way. I think it could probably apply to either or, okay? But here's, here, here's what's clear. Um, it's clear that, that Peter is painting a picture that people who have gospel amnesia, listen to me, People who have gospel amnesia don't possess good works. We perennially forget from whence we've came. We perennially forget the good news of the gospel. We get stuck in our capitalistic, profit and loss, boss pleasing, boss pleasing uh, homemaking routine, devoid of Christ and his worldview and his gospel then we are setting ourselves up for failure. We're we're, we're cooking up a recipe in a cauldron. And and what it is is a life that is unfruitful, that is nearsighted, that is blind, and certainly groping in the dark. Consider Paul's words to Titus again. Um, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you To insist on these things, he says, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. This is the second time he said this in chapter 3 within just a couple of verses. You you think Paul's interested in, in telling people about good works? I mean, he's obsessed with it, right? These things are excellent and profitable for people but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. He's talking about contentious people who split hairs about unnecessary things, who make open-handed issues the main thing, and leaving a wake of destruction uh, in their path, right? And our flesh does this. We, we, we start to, yeah, parse out things that we shouldn't. Verse 10, as for a person who stirs up such division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Don't talk to him. Right? Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Paul Paul wants the church to, to have good works. Right? He he wants them to be focused in on Obedience. So, uh, let's let's talk about um, forgetting the gospel. Um, I think that we have seasons where we forget the gospel, but I, as I often say, I think that most Christian application runs hour to hour, not week to week, right? Um, and so, l- l- let l- let me encourage you to preach the truth to yourself this having your minister preach to you once a week stuff is not going to work for you it's just not it's good you're commanded to do it it's effective it has its role and purpose in your soul's health and your spiritual life um but uh, you certainly uh, have to fight hard against gospel amnesia um so here, uh, let, me, let me ask you a question speaking of forgetfulness. What, what if, if, if we are forgetful of the gospel, and I think that many of us are, um, what, what other things are you also forgetful of? And then another question is, if we're going to talk about being forgetful, then what are you constantly mindful of? If you're not remembering the gospel, then what is it that dominates the real estate of your memory, right, when you get up? And here's the thing: Some of you are very self-aware creatures. I mean, you have an emotional quotient, you have an EQ, you have a high uh, sort of emotional intelligence about you. You you know yourself. You uh, y- y- you get it. Some of you uh, are oblivious, right? Does that make sense? You, you're a little bit more like me, right? You're just kind of walk around, bumping into walls, whatnot, emotionally. Uh, you don't really know. And here's the thing. Uh, Peter doesn't say either way uh, what this looks like for you, irrespective of how you're made, right? He just tells both groups, don't forget the gospel, right? Don't forget it. Um, remember it, preach it to yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, when we preach it to ourselves, it's going to be fighting other things that are in there, right? Things that, Some things that may not be good. A lot of things that that may not be good. Um, Let me encourage you to be vulnerable enough and careful enough uh, to let others others know, hey, listen, these are the things that I'm constantly preaching to myself. These things. And I need you to ask me how it's going in my head now and again, right? Uh, No, don't worry. People aren't going to think you're a mental patient. It's quite fine. We all are. That's the truth. Um, uh, but, but it takes vulnerability to say, hey, w- what are you doing? And, and here's the thing. It would be good for you and I to do s- some, some diagnosing on ourselves to figure out what all of that looks like. I have told you the story before, but I will tell you again. There was a, a couple many years ago who were at Ecclesia, a very young couple, and they were quickly divorced. They were in our small group, the whole nine yards, right? Uh, but it was a total wash. Uh, we, we, we had no idea about what was going on. Uh, We found out, per them, uh, that they were getting a divorce 24 hours before the divorce papers hit the lawyer's desk. They were already drawn up. They were done. And we found out about it. And after uh, digging and digging and digging and digging and digging and digging, I asked one of them, uh, just honest conversation, how long have you been married such and such years. Great. I think it was three at the time. Uh, Can you tell me how often you thought about divorce and or preached divorce to yourself? You know the answer that I got? Starting at month six after my wedding, I preached it every day without fail. To which I said, well, now we know why we're here, don't we? Two and a half years, unchecked, unchallenged, constantly preaching divorce to oneself leads to divorce. And a constant preaching of the gospel to oneself every day, unchecked and unchallenged, leads to good works. Period. That's the way it goes. If you're unhappy about something that your spouse is doing or undoing or, or, or not doing, and you're preaching that to yourself every single day, that's not good. That is not a good thing. That is not healthy, right? If you are annoyed at God for letting a circumstance come upon you and you are constantly bemoaning the situation in your heart where no one else can see, unchecked and unchallenged, complaining, 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 people are going to see. I am only surprised that we didn't know about it before because Matthew 12, 34 says what? The overflow of that heart is bursting forth out of the mouth. The mouth will speak. Jesus said it. But the flesh is creative. Make sure you're preaching the right things to your heart. And here's the thing. You're a human. You're a human. Don't demonize yourself for constantly preaching fleshly things to your own heart. Just A, replace it, and B, love God enough to let someone know about it. Right? And certainly you would be loving yourself. So the recall of the goodness of God in the gospel is directly related to good works in your life. I think that we've very, very clearly um, set that forward. And I think that not forgetting the gospel has to do with sobriety of the mind, all of which we talked about in the last book that we went through, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be watchful, be sober-minded right? Does that make sense? And so I think preaching, for the Christian, preaching the right things to your mind is all about sobriety of the mind. That if you say that you're a Christian and yet you get into that heart of yours or that mind of yours, we could peek in and look in and go, this is not a Christian representation of activity going on in here. Does that make sense? If we can just like look at it and look at all the data in it. No, 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 no. We, we, we've, we've, it, it needs to be truth telling in there, right? Um, and of course, I, I think that that comes from just time and the word Journaling, meditation, memorization, uh, you know, making yourself a catechist, whatever you need to do uh, to um, uh, discipline yourself spiritually, uh, I think is quite important. Verse 10. Verse 10 11 is going to go quick, um, especially verse 11. Uh, verse 10 Be f- steadfast in your calling and election. Uh, if you look at an ordo salutis or the Latin order of salvation, you will find election and Uh, calling both in the lineup Um, uh, so the 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 title here is be steadfast in your calling and election Uh, verse 10 says therefore brothers be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities you will never fall again this is a passage 8 through 11 about assurance of salvation right assurance of salvation Now, this is the second time in just a couple of verses that Peter has used the idea of diligence. Remember, uh, back in verse 5, which we just read in our context, passage for today, he said, bring all your energy to bear to add to your faith, right? So he's talking about zeal and diligence, and now here again, he says it again. Be all the more diligent, right? So he's calling the Christian to zealous action, right? That if you have uh, sort of, problems getting going, right, Uh, in terms of inertia, spiritually, let's get moving, right? Diligence requires action and zeal, Um, and that's what's unequivocally being called here to the point where he is repeating verbs over and over and over, literally in sentences back to back to one another, Um, there in the original. Uh, Be all the more sure, excuse me, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Um, A couple of quick observations. Number one, the diligent practice of these qualities will keep you from spiritually falling. That's point one, right? I think it's very clear. The diligent practice of these qualities will help you from falling. It doesn't take um, a hermeneutics degree to know that. I mean, it's just very clear. I mean, Peter is making it crystal clear. Um, The diligent practice of these qualities will keep you from spiritually falling. Number two, the diligent practice of these qualities will confirm your election. A.K.A. will give you assurance. Okay? Now, we don't have confirmation classes here uh, because we're not Methodist or Episcopalian Um, or Anglican for that matter because I think that they have them as well. Um, and I think their confirmation processes are quite different from the confirmation that's in view in 2 Peter here. But the word confirmation is here nevertheless, and it is a good one, by the way. The word confirm here simply means ratify, ratify. So think of it in terms of, of that, that it shows to be true, right? Uh, if, if you are insecure, about your own salvation, you are to, A, look to the one who saves because Jesus saves, right, just like Kevin DeYoung here said. Uh, You're to look to that thick ice out there, um, not, not to your own works. But at the same time, you are to have in view the fact that God has given you a new heart because you've got a new set of actions. You're reacting in ways that are not indicative of your fleshly personality, Right? God has created something new in you, right? In his creativity, the Holy Spirit uh, inside of you uh, gives you good action uh, and obedience that just looks different. Um, So when we say be steadfast in your calling and your election, um, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about your assurance, your assurance. Um, we have a um, we have a, a catechism at Trinity. Let me just read this to you. I think it bears out. I hadn't planned on doing this, but I'm going to go over there and see if I can find it. So we have a catechism that we wrote for Trinity uh, specifically, and I've mentioned it oftentimes before. Uh, and the last question, Q30, uh, asks uh, it talks about assurance of salvation, and it says. Um, how can someone know they are saved? How can someone know they are saved? Um, and, and what it does is it goes straight back to First John, um, talking about assurance of salvation. I'm going to read it to you here. Shame on me for not having already memorized it, and I don't have it all word for word, but I have a good idea of what it sounds like. Okay, here we go. So Q30, how can someone know they are saved? And it really is very close to kind of what Peter's talking about here. According to 1 John, by measuring their beliefs about Jesus with what the Bible teaches and, about, and by faithfully loving God and others through obedience to his commands, right? First um, John is a litmus test. The whole book is a litmus test for whether you're a believer or not which is why at the very end of that book, at the end of that litmus test, in chapter 5, of verse 13, he says, I am writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God uh, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He says it, that that's what it is. He says it's a litmus test, right? What's so wonderful about that is that what we have here is we have Peter's own little version of the book of First John. We have him creating a Christian litmus test for, hey, here it is. Um, this is how you can know that you're saved, right? We are saved by faith alone, certainly. But that saving faith, it never comes alone, right? Uh, It never comes alone. Uh, It is alone, and we are saved by it alone, but it never stays alone. It just doesn't. God won't let it happen. Um, He's given you a new heart, and there are things that change. It is necessarily true that uh, your your reactions are going, doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle. You're going to struggle. I struggle. We all struggle. Uh, but the truth is, is that um, uh, that's, that's that. Now, here's the thing. Election says that God has uh, s- sort of chosen those, just like he chose Israel, right? Why didn't he choose Moab, right? Why didn't he choose the indigenous peoples of Arabia next door? Why did he choose Israel? Election says that he chose some. He chose you for salvation. And yet, uh, in the middle of an author who is very happy to talk about election, he comes up and he says, you need to confirm that election by your good works. Now that, my friends, uh, is a problem, isn't it? I mean, it just is. It, it, it's doing this. It's it, it's James' verse over in, in his epistle saying, man is... Uh, saved by, it is not saved by faith alone, but you know through, uh, you know faith without works is dead, right? And almost over here the exact same verse Paul referencing to Abraham man is saved by right, you know saved by faith alone, righteousness counted to him, and these verses do this, right? We have to get deeper to kind of try to figure out what's going on. Here's the thing, sometimes there is no deeper sometimes when you go to the Greek, it doesn't help you you have to live with the tension that the author was happy to live with. Happy to live with it. My question for you is, are you happy to live with human responsibility and divine sovereignty? Because if you're not, you're not in good company with, with Peter and Paul. Because these guys were happy to do it. And, and the Old Testament, right? Anything that's pre-Greek logic, A plus B equals C which these guys are pre-all of that, by the way. They're happy to leave, that, to leave that where it is. Do you know what I do with, with this stuff when it comes up and it just bounces off of each other like this? About how I'm supposed to confirm my own election and at the same time that God has elected me? It gives me a place to worship God greater because the mystery of who he is grows. Does that, does that make sense? It reminds me afresh and anew that despite all my trying, that, that, that God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. But the truth is, is that every single gospel writer talks about this in a form of, or, or not, that, that the assurance of salvation comes from good works. Jesus even said it in the Sermon on the Mount, Chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of him who sent me. We don't have to get into the theologies of Peter and Paul. We can go straight to the mouth of our Lord in the greatest sermon ever preached. And there it is residing on the pages of that manuscript. Lastly, Eternity and glorification. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Guys, the richly provided here just means eternal, eternal life. That's all it means, right? For in this way um, you will be richly provided with eternal life. That that's that, that's that, that's the goal here. Um, you. Um, may not be mindful um, that your life is a vapor. Oftentimes we're not. Um, but verse 11 is given to you to remind you uh, that this life is a vapor. That some days and some weeks, we're talking about weeks just yesterday, uh, it just seems like the week's never going to end, does it? But the truth of the matter is, but the truth of the matter is um, that uh, We are to set our hope as elect exiles, right? Exiles is someone who doesn't belong here. Um, And having our hope set in Christ. I hope that you have made sense of Peter's priority to these people and that you can apply it to your own lives this week. And I hope that uh, upon coming on this that you've sort of bumped into the mystery of God and having bumped upon it today, that you would worship him for who he is. Um, our great God. Let me uh, pray for us. We're going to take the Lord's table together. Uh, brother, Pat, and uh, Ben, why not you serve the Lord's table to us today? Thank you, guys. Lord's, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your word. Um, God, thank you for calling us to good works because you knew that our lives would flourish in love and in godliness and in faith and and in penitence. So thank you for making us and, and knowing us and then commanding what's best for us. So God, may we flee from sin because it hurts us. Um, and God, may we be bright lights of obedience. May we be trophies of your grace. Uh, Would you help us, God, to to conduct our lives in humility and graciousness? God, will you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit fight our fleshly inclinations and our tendencies, our impulses? God, help us to uh, quite simply uh, fight our reactions that are selfish and help us, God, to walk Uh, in a clear knowledge of you. Help us to walk in your authority and by your grace and help. Thank you for this Lord's table that you command uh, to us, God, so that we wouldn't forget the gospel, uh, that we could see it clearly, Lord, and that we would be fruitful and effective as you qualify that fruitfulness in our lives. And we pray these things in Christ's good name. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, EkklesiaNoonan.com.